Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Ribbon. This podcast is brought to you by Pete's Car Smart Kia. These guys are not here just to sell you a car, but they believe in building relationships with their customers and the community. Visit their website at petescarsmartkia.com and be sure to follow them on their social media platforms as well. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Ribbon. My name is Ryan Parnell and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and oncology nurse, Pam McMillan. Hey, Ron, how are you today? I'm doing well, Pam. How about yourself? I'm well. You know, we talk about all kinds of appointments that our patients have to have um, before they start treatment. And one of those might include a dentist. I'm sure you like going to the dentist, right? Yeah. uh, Yeah. Depends. If I'm going for a cleaning, it's Mm -hmm. not that bad. (laughs) Right. You know, there's so many um, important uh, appointments to go to. And I think one of them is our oral care because, you know, the chemo can affect it. So can the radiation. So I'm excited about our guest and um, see what we can learn today. Pam, we have learned so much going through our podcast. And if there's one thing that has stuck out more than anything is the number, as you mentioned, the number of appointments survivors go to before, during, and once they're finished with their treatment. I cannot imagine trying to keep that all juggled and keep it all squared away. Um, But yeah, this is one of those ones talking about oral care uh, that they need to make sure that they are staying on top of. And so that brings us to our guest. Uh, We're super excited to have Liv Muller uh, join us today. Uh, Dr. Muller, how are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. Let's just kind of start and tell us about yourself. Tell us where you practice and uh, we'll go from there. Sure. So um, I'm currently at the Mayo Clinic Department of Dental Specialties. And my subspecialty is called maxillofacial prosthetics and dental oncology. And uh, that's kind of a, a fancy word for uh, I, my practice focuses on head and neck cancer patients. Um, as well as some developmental and uh, growth defects, as well as some trauma. But the main focus is head and neck cancer. Pam, I'm telling you, we go to the experts, don't we? That's right. You know, we wouldn't do anything less, right? That's exactly right. Uh, You know, Dr. Muller, we don't, it, it should come as no surprise to you, we don't have a U version here in Amarillo. And so... We're thankful uh, for taking time to join us and impart um, just a little bit of knowledge uh, with our folks. Let's let's talk about oral care and you know why it's important. Uh, obviously, we know right you're supposed to brush before uh, bedtime uh, in the mornings. Um, it depends on who who's telling you whether it's your mom or your dad as you're growing up, right? Whether you brush after meals and how many times you're supposed to floss. But let's talk about how that plays a role during and after cancer treatment. Yeah, so there's a lot of different avenues there. And the first one that comes to mind is where the cancer treatment is. What type of cancer are you being treated for and recovering for? Um, Head and neck obviously is the most pertinent neighboring area where it becomes really critical. But that's not to say that other cancer treatments can't affect your oral health either. So I would say the the starting point is the before. And the before is to make sure you don't have any active infections, active problems ahead of time, 
before the treatment starts so that you can avoid complications during this uh, either radiation or chemotherapy or surgical stages. Um, after that, then you have the during time. And so during it, most elective dental care is going to be deferred because, I mean, quite frankly, you have bigger fish to fry. You have other things on your plate and um, we just want to keep you healthy and have you focus on that. So we tend to defer most elective things until you've recovered, you've reached the other end of the treatment road, uh, and then we can start back up with the aftercare. And most of the aftercare is keeping you healthy, but in a different way, because a lot of what you've gone through can affect your oral health long-term. All right. So um, for our cancer patients, how important is it to get their routine um, cleaning First of all, let's talk about those that don't have cancer. I'm assuming it's every six months you get a routine cleaning. That's right. Six Um, months is what pretty much every dentist out there will tell you. That's what mine tells me. And that's what whether you want it or not, Pam, you got to do it every six months. (laughs) That's right. That's right. But you know, um, so they get their cleaning. What happens? Um, do they need to have their blood counts checked? Do they need to check with their oncologist prior to the cleanings? Um, and how important yeah. is it to stay so, up to date while they're going through treatment? Yeah, that's those are really good questions. Um, a regular cleaning would be something that I would probably defer until after treatment's done. I wouldn't consider that an urgent or semi-urgent thing in general. And so usually after treatment's done, you don't have too many worries about blood counts, platelets, neutrophils, those sorts of things. Um We do have patients that have prolonged courses of treatment though. So maybe they're getting chemotherapy for six months to a year or something, and they're only getting um, a dose at once every six weeks or something like that. In those cases, you might need a platelet count or a neutrophil count, something like that. Uh, If it's gonna be a deep cleaning, for example, you might worry about the bleeding. So platelets would be of concern. Different doctors are gonna have different cutoffs or where they would feel comfortable doing elective procedures with low platelets versus urgent procedures. And usually the urgent ones, there's a little more flexibility with the cutoffs. Um, something like 50,000 or so is, is a highly quoted number for a lot of dentists as far as um, how comfortable they feel in the outpatient setting to do procedures. Um, obviously, if you're in a hospital or an inpatient or have other resources at that location, lower platelet levels can be managed a little bit better. And so they might feel more comfortable at lower levels. Um, Neutrophils or white blood cells are gonna keep you healthy. And so if you're doing a big procedure like a surgery and um, your your white blood cells are too low, your risk of infection and lack of healing in that area goes up. And so that would be the reason to check the white blood cell counts. Typically, if you're in the middle of chemotherapy, for example, uh, the white blood cell counts dip uh, a week or two after the chemotherapy is administered, and then they start to rise again. So as a rule, we tend to schedule those sorts of dental procedures right before the next dose of chemotherapy, because you've had the longest time to recover from it, and you're going to have the best chance of healing and lack of uh, infection. So those are the general rules of thumb. Is that, Dr. Muller, is that the same for someone who is um, metastatic or someone who is maybe a leukemic and it's going to be on treatment 
as you said, long-term? Yeah, the longer term ones are the ones where you'd really have to worry about it more because most cleanings for the shorter term courses of care, we're just going to defer that cleaning. We're going to skip that cleaning and, and get you healthy. Um, it's the longer term ones that uh, are definitely the ones we will think about the timeline, think about the blood counts. Uh, and the biggest take home is your dentist should be communicating directly with your medical team, your medical oncologist, um, to talk about that plan so that your whole care team is on the same page and everyone agrees, yep, that's a reasonable thing to do. It seems urgent enough or things are stable enough, those sorts of things. Yeah, so communication is key, right, between your dentist, maybe if it's an oral surgeon or an endodontist, and your medical oncologist. That's yeah. huge. Absolutely. It's our favorite word around here. Huh? <laughs> it is. Every single one of our podcasts, it seems like that word communication comes up and it's not just in passing. It is, it is a major component. Always. Yeah. Um, you talked about the six month timeline mm-hmm. and I would say that's, that's pretty general across the board, but depending on what type of uh, cancer you're recovering from, that interval might change. And also depending on the health of your teeth and the health of your periodontium, which is the bone and the ligaments that hold your teeth in place, uh, that interval might change as well. So for example, my patient population, head and neck cancer patients, if you get radiation to the head and neck region, it does affect the mouth more profoundly. And so most of my patients after radiation therapy, I tell them to go see their primary dentist every three months for the next few years. Um, the biggest change with radiation in the mouth is dry mouth and it changes the bacteria levels, it increases your cavity risk. So frequent checkups, making sure those cavities are caught when they're small, not turning into huge problems, um, as well as just keeping things clean are the key. And I do tell them after a year or two, if your dentist has seen you three or four times in a row, no new changes, no new cavities, things look stable, try four months then try five months. You can push back out, but it's all about being proactive and catching things early. Now you talked about some common side effects like dry mouth. Um, What are other side effects like from chemotherapy that can affect your oral health and then also from radiation and maybe even um, stem cell transplant? Sure. Um, Chemotherapy side effects tend to be treatment time related. Uh, The good news is a lot of the chemotherapy side effects don't tend to be long-term or at least not aggressive as long-term side effects. And by that, I mean, as you're going through chemotherapy, you're likely to get taste changes, mouth sores, dry mouth, oral pain in general. Um, However, once the chemotherapy and that treatment is over, uh, as you heal up over the next few years, those things tend to decrease and dissipate, which is great. Um, Radiation, on the other hand, is a little different in that those side effects tend to be more long-term, more substantial, um, particularly when treated. Obviously, it's it's, uh, dose-dependent to the region. So when you're treating the actual mouth or the actual muscles that open and close the jaw or those sorts of things, that's where those side effects will last longer. Uh, all the side effects are very similar. So mucositis, which is the inflammation of the oral tissues, 
We have taste changes. Obviously, the taste buds in the tongue are affected and dry mouth. The teeth are affected a little bit too by radiation. Uh, and what's interesting is we don't know exactly how uh, with fully formed teeth. There's nothing we can point to that says, yep, they're less dense or there's a problem here. But uh, there's definitely regions of decay that we see. Radiation carries is what we call it. And it's right where the gums hit the tooth. So it's right where the tooth part becomes the root part. So that junction is right where we see the cavities. So it does seem like that junction is weakened somehow. So along with the dry mouth and the bacteria changes because of that, that junction is where we get the cavities. Is it um, common for people to have um, chipped te teeth or cracked teeth during treatment? Um, that's a good question. And I don't know necessarily if I see more chipping or cracking during treatment versus any other time. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose you could make the case that treatment time is a stressful time and there could be a lot of clenching and grinding and um, those sort of movements that don't normally exist, but I don't know of any data off the top of my head that says you're going to, you're going to have more of it during treatment. That's a good I question. I know I've seen several of our survivors and they say, my teeth are cracking. They're crumbling. And I'm, who knows if they didn't have good oral care prior to treatment. Yeah. 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 Well, Dr. Muller, talk about, you know, you mentioned the, the three most common um, side effects, right? So uh, dry mouth, mucositis, and taste changes. And Pam, I can remember in my previous life working at one of the cancer centers, hearing folks who were um, having head and neck cancer primarily, of course, that uh, everything afterwards just tastes like cardboard and mm -hmm. nothing tastes good. And, you know, that's why we have um, our nutrition folks that we work with to try to help make things taste better and helps maybe speed some of that healing. But can you talk with us and our listeners about maybe some of the pharmacological and non-pharmacological ways that maybe those could be managed, whether it is the mucositis, the, the taste changes, or the dry mouth? Sure. Um, I wish we had a, a taste changes pill or something. The taste changes tends to be the ones that we really don't have a lot of options for. Uh, time, wait and see, see how things recover, see how this, uh, the, uh, the glands bounce back uh, is about it. One thing that does help a little bit is having moisture with your food while you're eating. Saliva does do some initial food particle breakdown and it does coat the tongue and let those particles flow over all those taste buds, right? Yeah. So if you have a lot of dry mouth, you're not starting that breakdown of the food as well as it's not coating the whole oral cavity. So that can contribute to increased uh, inability to taste things. So increasing the levels of moisture while you're eating and drinking can be helpful for taste, but that's about it. Um, mucositis, again, the good thing with mucositis is that's a during treatment side effect. Um, if you can say there's a good thing about mucositis, but, um, that's about the only good thing is that it does go away. Uh, it's, it needs to be treated at the, at the time of mostly by management. We don't have any way to prevent it. Radiation therapy is going to do its job and it's going to, it's going to work, but it's also going to affect those natural healthy structures around it. And so keeping it as clean as you can, um, topical analgesics. So numbing solutions, xylitol swishes, or, um, 
coding agents to kind of help code the surface. Those sort of things are tend to be the most common ways. Systemic uh, pain medication as well, if it's if it's pretty bad. And then you kind of have to just get through it. If you can keep it from getting infected with something else, if you get a lot of mucositis, you know, you break the skin surface, then you can get uh, bacterial infiltration or fungal infiltration. So candida or a thrush infection that compounds it. So if you can keep it clean and keep that from happening, at least you're going to decrease some of those, those pain side effects. Uh, and the last one was xerostomia, I think we mentioned, right? Yes. So the dry mouth. Uh, that one, there are a lot of topical options, a lot of over-the-counter options, and there's a few pharmacologic options as well. So um, let's start with the topical ones. Those are things like gums and mints and swishes and uh, anything you can put on the area. So biotin is the brand name that everyone kind of knows and um, a lot of patients will utilize. So just their dry mouth rinse. Act is another big brand that people know about. So they have a dry mouth rinse. Um, mouth coat, Oasis moisturizing, you know, the list goes on. They come in sprays, gels, swishes. Some of them are even like a little button that you can put on the inside of your cheek that'll help you stimulate saliva throughout the day. Um, and I always tell patients, if one doesn't work, try a different brand, try a different formulation or a different type. Cause, um, without fail, one patient will tell me, yep, biotin works great. And then the next one will be like, that was the worst one I tried. It didn't work at all. <laughs> so try them all, find out what works for you. Um, using fluoride cannot be replaced. Uh, if you have dry mouth, it's not going to help with the dry mouth, but the fluoride is what protects the teeth and it strengthens the teeth and prevents those cavities from happening. Um, xylitol in those gums and, and mints and lozenges. Xylitol is a uh, sugar replacement. It's a five carbon sugar instead of a six carbon sugar. So uh, you can break it down just like sugar, but the bacteria try to eat it and then they can't digest it. So they end up dying. So the xylitol works great for that. Um, super saturated calcium phosphate rinses, you can get those or you can just mix something at home. So a uh, teaspoon of baking soda, a teaspoon of salt and a big thing of water and <laughs> swish and spit with that all day is another easy over-the-counter thing you can use. So I, I guess we didn't get to the pharmacologic ones. Right. I'm rambling here. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> we do that. Can we talk about like mouth sores? You know, um, I know we had Dr. Hargis on here talk about dries and you go to CVS or Walgreens and there's a bajillion different um, eye drops. It's kind of the same with oral care is, you know, a soft toothbrush better than a hard toothbrush is this mouthwash better than that mouthwash. Um, it says mouth sores. Um, which one is the best? Yeah. Um, that's a hard question. A million dollar question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, soft toothbrush is always better than hard. You always want a soft toothbrush that goes for everyone, not just cancer patients, but you know, average Joe needs a soft toothbrush. Um, mouth rinses in general, mouth rinses, I consider kind of the, like the cherry on the top of your oral care routine for the average person. That's not something that's actually keeping your teeth healthy per se. Your, your actual mechanical brushing and stimulation is what's cleaning off the bacteria. The mouthwash can help on top of that, but it's not going to replace the brushing. Um, post cancer therapy, anything with alcohol in it. Uh, can be detrimental because it's drying. 
And so if you're already dealing with dry mouth, you don't want to add extra alcohol. So if you want to use a mouth rinse, it should be alcohol free. And that would be most helpful. Yeah. Any specific toothpaste? Um, toothpaste with fluoride in it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's going to be the key for these post post radiation uh, oral cavities. Anything with fluoride is going to help. Um, different flavors can be challenging after radiation or especially during if you have sores. So a lot of times we're directing our patients to get some uh, kitty flavors, right? So their bubble gum and their berry and those sort of things tend to be less irritating than the mints that the adult toothpaste tend to be minty and irritating. Yeah. You know, Pam, we all, I always remember hearing about magic mouthwash mm-hmm. and I, I, I've not I've stayed away from Google because I knew we were going to, we were going (laughs) to talk to you. Tell us about, educate us on magic mouthwash. Magic mouthwash is a catch-all phrase for a compounded rinse that your provider or someone has decided to put together. Uh, Depending on your facility, location, your provider, it's going to contain different things Mm -hmm. in general it's going to contain a numbing agent, something like a lidocaine. So um, you swish with it so that you can eat or drink comfortably for the next 15, 20 minutes after that. Um, A coating agent to help it stick around in the mouth. Um, It's not uncommon to have a antifungal agent or an antibacterial agent, depending on if they're trying to treat a thrush infection or decrease the bacterial load at the same time. Anything they think they need to add in there, they can basically, but that's the, the basics of it is um, comfort as well as treatment. And those 10 don't, they don't last long after they use them either. It's no. just a temporary fix. Yeah, it's very, very temporary. Um, like I said, you're going to get maybe 15 minutes of, of comfort in order to eat and drink and all that. Uh, some people will last a little longer, some people are a little shorter, but in general, short-lived. But again, that's one of those things, just getting by, as you were saying, talking about, you know, during treatment, get them through, get them by, get them, get them well, um, having to use the various pieces and parts to, to get by. I mean, that yeah. um, sounds like we need to patent the name magic mouthwash. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. Yep. And make your own little proprietary formula. There you go. Trademark it. Trademark it. Oh my goodness. The pharmacist might really like that if it's all <laughs> one formula. <laughs> so let's talk about pharmacological um, things that can, they can do. Yeah. So this one is a, honestly a little beyond my scope. I don't usually prescribe for dry mouth, mm-hmm. um, mostly because I just let my medical colleagues manage all of their medications because this is systemic. They have other issues going on. Uh, I kind of let them manage the patient as a whole. But the take home is there are a few. So pilocarpine is one you might have heard of or um, uh, sevimoline. Basically, they're parasympathetic medications. So you hear about sympathetic and parasympathetic. Sympathetic is your flight or fight, right? And that kind of ramps you up for that. Parasympathetic is what we call rest and digest, right? That's your calming side of things. So it's going to let you produce that saliva. However, um, you also have to understand that 
you're not just going to produce saliva, it's going to affect all of the parasympathetic mechanisms. So you're also going to maybe experience excessive sweating as well. Um, skin vasodilation, you might feel some some heat off your skin or mostly just redness. You can see the, the skin. Um, bronchoconstriction. So you're, rela you're relaxed, you're resting and digesting. You don't need to fight or run away from someone. So um, you don't need big lung capacity. Um, so bronchoconstriction, hypotension. So that means lower blood pressure. You're not going anywhere. You're relaxing. You can lower your blood pressure um, and slower heart rate. So bradycardia. The problems with those things is if you have other medical concerns that relate to those, maybe those aren't medications that you want to consider taking. And so that's why you want to talk that over with your physician first. So you can imagine if you have uncontrolled asthma, for example, you maybe don't want to constrict your lungs or bronchoconstriction. Um, if you have heart disease, you maybe don't want to have hypotension or slow down your heart rate. Maybe they're trying to manage it differently. So it affects other parts of your body other than just the salivary gland. So um, it can be helpful, but definitely needs to be looked at closely. Yeah, it's kind of like chemotherapy. It has a targeted, you know, way for it to work, but gosh, it has these other things that it affects on and has the, the side effects. Um, Absolutely. It's got to be all weighed together. You, you mentioned about fluoride earlier, and I kind of wanted to go back to that. Um, is that something that um, survivors should be, you know, take while they're in treatment, you know, fluoride water or the floor, you know, the various ways that you can get extra fluoride? Yeah. Um, during treatment, that's not something that I usually recommend only because Again, we talk about irritating agents in the mouth. If you have oral mouth sores, the fluoride can be a little irritating and we'd rather avoid the irritation and keep you comfortable and support you through the care rather than force a few fluoride treatments on you. Um, we can get you the fluoride treatments after those mouth sores are healed up. Um, systemic fluoride for an adult, I, I'm not convinced that that makes too much of a difference here. So when you talk about drinking it in the water, I think as a child, that makes a big difference in the development of your teeth. As an adult, we look more at the topical treatment in the mouth. So uh, all of my patients that I see pre-cancer pre treatment get a prescription from me with a bunch of refills for a high fluoride gel. And we make them a fluoride tray, which is a squishy tray that you pop on over your teeth and you wear it with a little bit of the gel inside five minutes a day. And we tell them, this is a forever thing. Add this to your daily routine to keep, the, keep your teeth healthy. Um, the great thing about that is it's not systemic. You're spitting out the extra. You're not ingesting it. So it would take a ton in order to kind of overdo it on the floor, right? Yeah. So um, it works really well. And the positive pressure from the tray pushing the fluoride towards the tooth does tend to help a little bit too. Um, if you don't have a tray, brushing it on obviously is very helpful as well. Um, but the tray does tend to tend to work really nicely for our patients. And you don't have to think about it. You can just hang out for five minutes. <laughs> true. That's true. You can do anything for five minutes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, and um, what about jaw necrosis? How common is it? And is there ways to prevent that? Yeah. Um, so jaw necrosis can happen for mainly two reasons. One is radiation. And the second is bisphosphonates. 
those are the, the two main causes that we see necrosis from. It can happen spontaneously, but that's incredibly rare. Um, radiation, the lower jaw is much more at risk than the upper jaw, and it's not very common. Um, you'll see articles citing anywhere between 0.2 or something all the way up to 10 to 15%. Um, so there's quite a range, but it does depend, it does seem to be dose dependent. So if your lower jaw gets a really high dose of radiation, maybe anything over 50, 55 grays, for example, that's when we start to worry and we don't wanna do elective surgical procedures in the area because the area might not be able to heal on its own or heal well. And that's when you get that necrosis. Um, after radiation, it is possible for it to spontaneously do that. But again, it's highly uncommon. It usually is triggered by a surgical intervention, such as the cavity got too big, we can't save it, we have to pull the tooth. And when you pull the tooth in an area of high radiation, you run that small risk. Um, bisphosphonates are very similar in that they prevent turnover of the bone. So the bisphosphonates, usually you'll see it for osteoporosis treatment, but a lot of um, bone, bone metastasis from breast cancer, for example, those patients will be put on bisphosphonates as well. And um, it does seem like the therapies that patients are put on for malignancies, such as the bone metastasis, have a higher chance of getting this uh, osteonecrosis as opposed to the osteoporosis treatment levels. And again, it's a small chance. You'll see, you know, 1% quoted a lot in the literature, but um, it's 100% if it happens to you. So mm -hmm. the take-home message is don't pull teeth, don't do elective things in areas that you've had radiation or if you've had bisphosphonate therapy, unless you've really looked at the, the risk profile that you're in. And is it worth the risk of pulling that tooth or, or doing something elective in that area or not, even though it's a small, small risk? Wow. I, I had no idea, Pam. <laughs> it is so, I mean, it is, there's so much you think about, and I know, I know we take our teeth for granted, right? You, you, you use your teeth to open a package or, you know, those things and you take them for granted. Um, but there's some, um, just this, everything has this systemic reaction and your teeth tend to take a back seat sometime, I'm afraid. Yes, they do. So with those patients that are getting Zometa um, for osteoporosis, um, can they stop the medication and then go get a dental procedure done and then restart the medication? Or is it um, something that they should avoid for life? Yeah. Bisphosphonates are tricky. They're half-lives. And when we talk about medication half-lives, that's how long it takes for half of the medication to leave your body system. Um, and that's how quickly you can tell medications break down. So for example, if, if you get numb, you get a numbing for one of your teeth because you're getting a dental procedure, the half-life of that might be an hour or two because by the end of four hours, five hours, you're not numb anymore. Bisphosphonates stick around for years. So a drug holiday or stopping the bisphosphonate therapy, it's controversial of if it's helpful or not because if it's still in your bloodstream and you're in your body for so long, 
is stopping it really helpful? So I think that really depends on your provider if they think they want to do that. Um, I will say that there are IV bisphosphonates and there are oral bisphosphonates that you take as a pill. The IV bisphosphonates are exponentially more challenging with the necrosis of the jaw as compared to the oral ones. We used to be more concerned with the oral ones, to be honest, but I think the levels of necrosis that we see with the oral ones are so much smaller. It's really the IV treatments that, uh, I, that we're more worried about. So um, whenever a patient, okay, they complete treatment and they're looking for a new dentist, um, do they need to look for somebody that has experience in oncology, dental work, or just any dentist would work? Yeah, um, that's a good question. And by and large, any dentist should work, to be honest. Um, if you've had resection or surgical removal in the mouth of, of cancer, along with these other things, having someone who's a little more highly trained is helpful. Um, a, a prosthodontist, for example, as opposed to a general dentist. Um, if it's really uh, challenging, a really big defect or things like that, someone like myself with the maxillofacial prosthodontics training is probably where you need to be. Uh, but by and large, if you had radiation, chemotherapy, but otherwise you know, not a lot of surgical intervention and everything else is pretty intact. Most dentists uh, should be very well capable to help you out. We're going to go back to that communication comment. <laughs> they need to know about it though. They need to be reminded that you have a history of radiation to the area or chemotherapy or whatnot. Um, here's the problems you're currently dealing with. Uh, and reminders, kind reminders are always good because they see tons of patients every day and especially head and neck cancer, for example, they might only have one or two in their practice over 15, 20 years. So um, it's always good to keep them in the loop and keep them reminded of where you're at. Um, you don't need to pester them, but just a, hey, remember, <laughs> I've had radiation to this area. <laughs> uh, well, Pam, that's a great um, segue, if you will, into the benef one benefit of our folks when they're finished with their treatment, sitting down with you and getting their treatment summary and their care plan, because then they can take that treatment summary, take it to their, take it to their dentist and say, here's how much I had, here's where it was, here's, you know, in my mouth, I had this surgery, just as you mentioned, Dr. Muller, but they can at least give them that information, then they've got the information that if they need to, they can contact your medical oncologist, your radiation oncologist. Again, that's just that subtle plug for why it's important to, you know, sit down with Pam, go over your treatment summary and care plan, because you've got that. And it's, it's a document that you can, you, that's what it's intended to be used for is to be shared with your medical team of which could be your general dentist. And we don't want you to have to remember everything that you went through. So there's a nice little uh, report whenever you come to see me. So, and it's free. It's free. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, is. That's, it is. That's a fabulous resource. And um, I, you want to come work here? <laughs> no. Hey, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. You can stay there. But yeah, no, that's a resource that is that is so helpful for for every provider on your team to be on the same page and have the same access to your history and 
dosages and timeline. Uh, that's invaluable. So that's wonderful. Well, we feel it that it's that a way too. Um, Dr. Miller, thank you so much for um, all of your information that you've shared so far. And um, we like to leave our listeners with a Pete's powerful moment. We are sponsored by Pete's CarSmart Kia, and we would love to hear your powerful moment. Um, that's a really tough one. Uh, I think the powerful moment that comes to mind for me is just mostly why I went into this sub specialty training to begin with. And uh, that's how impactful something as simple as dentistry can seem. A lot of times, like you have mentioned, dentistry kind of is taken for granted and teeth are there and teeth are teeth. Um, but those moments where we have a patient who's whole jaw has been removed and cancer has been treated and we finally can put new teeth back in. It's a, it's one of those moments that uh, sticks with you and keeps you doing what you're doing. I bet it does. I bet it does. Um, I, as I kind of joked a little bit about, yeah, you're taking your teeth for granted. I mean, it's, you'd certainly, um, need them obviously. And to be able to do that for someone who is, um, without that's that's a huge bonus and that that made me think too Dr. Muller you know we we like to get, let our guests kind of tell our uh, listeners you know how can they get in touch with you or if someone is listening and they say that's me and I had and I need and there's no I don't know where to go how, how's best is it best just to go through the website or how's the easiest way to maybe see about getting an appointment with you yeah so um we're trying to make our referral process pretty simple. There's a there's a link on our on the Mayo Clinic website under the Dental Specialties Department, and um, under there, your your dentist can basically just fill it out and send over what they're what they're looking at and what they need help with. Uh, we collaborate really closely with the primary dental team, so they're your home, they're your they're your home base basically, and we're there to support secondary questions, specialty care, things that maybe are a little bit more challenging or more specialized. So um, we get the referral straight from your provider and they tell us how we can help. And we tell you if we can, if we can help. Um, Obviously we're, we're kind of the clinic in the cornfield. We're in the middle of nowhere and some things we can help with from a distance and some things we can't, but uh, we help however we can. Sure. Well, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're there and you're on our podcast today and imparting the knowledge. And it's just another resource if, if, if it's ever needed, now our folks know where to turn to, right, Pam? That's right. And we know that a smile's priceless so they can go see you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So yeah, you know, what we want our listeners to do, you guys that are listening, um, make sure that you subscribe to our podcast share this information. If you know someone who maybe, uh, if you're a head and neck cancer patient and you're bound to know other head and neck cancer patients by going through treatment. And if you know someone who's struggling with uh, the the side effects that we've talked about today or looking, needing treatment, needing options, um, let them know about our podcast, this episode, and also hit all the buttons, subscribe it, leave us a review, let us know. And if Pam, if, if, if someone says, you guys really need to talk to so-and-so, how do they let us know about that? 
They can give us a call at 806-331-2400 or email us at info at 24survivorship.org. That's right. Real simple. Give us a call or let us know. Email us. Let us know. Uh, we'll be happy to do that. We love bringing great experts to uh, the table weekly and providing great information for you guys. So we hope that you'll join us next week for another great episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media for news and updates. If you'd like more information about the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website, 24survivorship.org. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week.